evening, 1010. Uh, it's really good to be with y'all. And uh, Mike, thank you for leading worship there. That was that was really uh, a good time and, and good remembrance of uh, of our Savior, of Jesus. Um, hope everybody's doing well. Um, this is becoming a new normal, obviously. And so um, I'm not sure what week we're on here, but I think we're I think I think we're kind of getting adjusted and we're getting used to this. And um, and so um, welcome to those of you who are a uh, are normally a part of 1010 and what we do at 1010, whether that's online or um, when we meet together in the body. For those of you who um, who aren't, um, we're just glad that you're here. And um, yeah, hope you enjoy your time with us this evening. So um, hope everybody's doing well, as I said. And, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about my life for a few seconds and um, I, I realize that uh, a lot of times um, we get in here, we get to worshiping. We're worried about um, we're worried about having the um, video working, technology working correctly, and we don't really share a lot about ourselves uh, because we're worried about making sure that everything kind of flows well. And so um, here in the Ferry household, um, you know, we're 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 doing well during COVID nineteen. We're uh, I continue to go to work every day, and um, you know, one of the things that I'm very excited about is tomorrow I'll be officiating my very first wedding. And I know some of you are like, "Oh, scandal! Scandal! He's breaking the stay-at-home order." Um, but you know what? Uh, I'm very excited about that, and um, I'm very excited for the for the people that are going to be um, coming together before the Lord and um, coming together in marriage. And so. Um, yeah, so I've got some exciting things happening, and I'm just thankful for God for the opportunity to to partake in two people that love one another, um, joining together in marriage and an expression of the gospel. Um, so yeah, that's what's been going on here. Um, not a whole lot of new stuff, so to, so to speak. Um, just kind of uh, trying to be consistent. And so this week here at 1010, we're starting a new series. Uh, and we kind of posted about it earlier this week, but it's called What a Life. And what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be taking a look at the book of Matthew. And we are going to be exploring the life of Jesus. Uh, we're going to be kind of taking a look at, at different at different stories. We're going to be taking a look at um, things that he said. And we're really just going to be um, diving into our Savior um, seeing how, how, how we can draw nearer to him by taking a look at his life. And for one of the things for me this week, um, there are two words that are just so profound um, for me that came out of Jesus' mouth as he was talking to the disciples. He simply said to them, follow me. And so as we're going through this series, I want to invite you to do that. I want you to, I want to invite you to simply follow Jesus and allow the stories uh, from the gospel, from the gospel of Matthew, to impact your life, to show you who your Savior is, and to allow his love to be expressed to you through the word of God. I want you to consider that when Jesus was saying, follow me, he wasn't just saying it to the disciples. He wasn't just saying it to the twelve. He was speaking it to us. He knew that one day we would be reading the word of God. He knew one day he would give the disciples the command to go make disciples of all nations. And he knew that the, 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 the simple phrase, follow me, would, would, would go out 
would go forth through generations to all disciples in a simple command to follow me. And so as we go through this series, as we investigate and as we explore Jesus's life and see what a life it was, I want you guys to consider that statement. So for me this week, um, as I said, I'm, I'm still going to work. Um, you know, you know, a lot of healthcare workers are um, still doing that on the front lines. There's a lot of people doing it. Um, I don't think that um, in the midst of in the midst of this time, uh, I've been seeing a lot of different things being posted, a lot of different things being said about um, who's important and who's not, and 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 I just feel like that's a lot of division that we don't need to be talking about. We're all playing a role in this one way or another. Everybody should be appreciated one way or another, and so. To the people that are um, that are that have to go to work every day, thank you. And to the people who who are at their homes and working, thank you. Uh, everybody's playing a part in this, and so there's a lot of a lot of things I've seen posted around. I know that we want to show a greater appreciation for this or for that, but everybody's playing a part in this. And so uh, I don't want anybody to feel slighted in this. And I think it's a I think it's very important for us as as men and women of God um, to kind of have a stance on on the coronavirus have a stance on what people are doing, um, but we're just thankful for people. And we're not sitting there playing judge or jury on who's working harder and who's not. Let's just be thankful that the people who are out there are doing that. Um, God's working everything out according to his purposes, and we know that. Um, But uh, I was at work this week, and we've been slower than normal because uh, people have not been – know coming in they've been canceling their studies you know they're trying to stay safe and um i I don't know if it was that or just with all the responsibility that i feel like i've been carrying lately um i was just at work and i just felt like i wasn't really doing good uh at my job uh you know i find myself kind of drifting here and there (laughs) thinking about this or that um and i kind of was feeling unproductive because, you know, patients aren't coming in. We're not able to really do a whole lot. We're, we're, we're really just kind of treading water right now. And, um, you know, I began to kind of get down on myself. I began to, you know, self-judge in, in, in some respects. And I feel bad about how maybe I was representing God in that. Um, maybe I was taking an extra couple of seconds to just kind of, you know, um, rest because of everything that's been going on. And, you know, I began to just kind of be like, God, I don't know how you can possibly use me. And maybe you can't understand that, but um, for me, after coming out of the great cover-up series, after looking at the the conversation about holiness, there be, there comes this tension and this balance that we have to have a conversation about, where it's like, if I'm pursuing holiness and, and really pursuing it, but then I have those moments where I'm imperfect and I'm not holy, I begin to ask myself this question, and maybe you were asking yourself this question during that that series, where it's like, well, how can God still use me? And maybe you've thought about that, maybe you haven't, maybe you felt that way at one point or another during some period. You know, it's very easy as we go into uh, kind of Christian ease mode or whatever, where we where we jump in and we um, we hear a good message and we get really fired up but then we don't do anything with it, and then we get down on ourselves. And so <clears throat> that's something that we have to guard against. And so one of the things that, that you know that I was asking myself this week, obviously, is like, how can God, how can God still use me? But at the same time, I know 
that God has a perfectly good answer uh, for that. And so uh, this evening, I just want to ask, um, maybe have you ever asked that question? Have you ever asked, is it really possible, God, for you to use me? And I know a lot of us, right, who have been in church, who have been churched, will come back with the obvious Christian answer, especially, you know, Bible School 101, you know, we know the answer right away. But but if we're really being honest about it, and we've talked about this time and time again, we talked about it last week in terms of the resurrection, we know, we know that that um, our belief is not based purely on our words, but on our words and our actions prove that we believe what we believe. And so it's easy for us to give the right answer here, but do our actions say that we really believe that God can use us? And I've had to ask myself this week, do mine? And, and that's been tough. And so today I want to ask you guys uh, this question. Uh, I want you guys to consider this, and, and maybe, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that most of us, at one point or another, uh, if we live our lives with a conviction of trying to put to death the old and, and put on the new, we've asked this question because maybe we've fallen and we haven't really done what we want to. Or there's something that we're working on, and you know, we, we fail at it. And so today I want to just ask the question, have you ever wondered if it's possible for God to use you? Have you ever questioned God's ability to use you? So a couple of Christmases ago, <clears throat> Laura had gotten me a, a Christmas gift, and one of the things that I had asked for was was a uh, one of those kits from Ancestry.com. Maybe you guys have, have had them before. And maybe you guys um, have used them. I know that they became like super popular all around the same time. And so um, what you can do with these, these kits is they'll send you a kit. And inside is like a little tube. And in the tube it tells you, you know, you read the instructions, you open it up, and it says spit in this tube till it gets to a certain line. And um, I know like as, when I think about this and when I, when I was actually doing it, I was like, this is really gross. This is really disgusting. Uh, it's really awkward. And so I was kind of like, Laura, why don't you go to the other room or like, let me do this in private because I'm just spitting into this tube and you have to put quite a bit in there. And so um, I do it. We send it off. You know, they say, hey, it's going to take a certain amount of time. We wait, we wait, we wait, we wait. Finally, I get an email. We have found uh, your origin. We know where you're from based off your DNA, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and so Laura and I excitedly, we open up the laptop to look and see, like, what is my lineage? Where is where do, where do I originate from? And so, um, for me, you know, I, I found out that I am predominantly German and English, and it was like, whoa, that is awesome. And I found out that, like, you know, the different areas, specific area of Germany, specific area of Wales in, in the English area. And so, Laura and I were just very interested and, and involved in it. And so, uh, one of the things for for my for my family is that. We have this huge history, or this huge, this huge mystery on, 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 on my, on my, my dad's side, my grandfather's side, um, that we don't know a whole lot about my grandfather's father. And so I'm not trying to like spread dirt here, but, but, but um, one of the things with getting this ancestry thing is that it begins to connect you with other people. And so I began to research. I began to dig in. I bought the subscription. They, they, they sold me and began to look and see like who, 
who is my grandfather's father. It was a very secretive thing. He didn't want to talk about it. There was scandal involved, blah, blah, blah. And so we began to, to look at it, and Laura and I began to map it. And, I mean, we got the whole way back to, like, 1800s on one side of the family, and, and, and we, we rethought that we had found um, – who my grandfather's father was and we found some information out and it was just like every time I clicked the button I was more compelled to continue on in this search and so it, did, it wasn't um, maybe like a month month or two later I had cousins that um, that had gotten on I'm sorry it was like a year later that my cousins got on and, and were looking at the ancestry lineage and they had talking to talk to their dad and their dad had kind of been like you know we don't know a whole lot this is what we know this is what we don't know and if you're on the ancestry, you know, it connects you. And so they put that they were my cousins. It connected us. They were able to look and see, and they were like, they were sending me Marco Polis. Is this really who Pappy's uh, dad is? How do you know this? What did you find? Did you look at the census? Like, I mean, so we began to have this great big conversation about our family, our lineage. And, um, and one of the things I realized in that is that lineage matters. Who we are matters. I and, mean, it interests us. At the very least, it interests us. We want to know those things. It's something deep within us. Like, where did we come from? And if you look at the book of Matthew, if you look in the book of Luke, they 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 are very, very, um, they make very concerted efforts to be sure that we know uh, about the genealogy of Christ. And so most people... When they say, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna start the book of Matthew," they don't start off with Matthew one one through seventeen, but we're gonna start off with that today because the genealogy of Christ is is so important. There is a reason that Matthew started off uh, the book of, of the book of Matthew, his book, with the genealogy of Christ. And so, if we miss it, if we look at it and say, "This is a bunch of guys whose names I can't speak," and we just bypass it. We're missing out on Matthew setting the stage for everything. Matthew setting the stage for everything that he's about to write in the entire rest of the book. He writes it in a way, uh, a purposeful way, because his audience, it's important for them to know from the beginning that there's a connection between Jesus, the Christ, and everything else that has happened before. And so what I want to do, I just want to pray first, and then we're going to read this. Y'all can make fun of me a little bit as I try to say names. I've even made little notes on how to say them right. But listen, uh, one thing that I just you know want to ask Jesus is, what were they thinking when they made some of these names up? Because they are you know, anything more than like two syllables is just unnecessary. So we got some two, we got some three, four syllable names here, and we're gonna try and work them out. But uh, anyway, let's let's ask the Lord to just bless our time uh, in His Word. Father, thank you so much uh, for this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you for, for this genealogy, for, for this lineage, Father, because um, this isn't sat here on accident. Matthew did not write this without purpose in his heart. And so, Lord, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to every single person that's listening to me right up to today, that listens tomorrow, that listens later on in the week, whenever this is something that they turn on. I just ask, Father, that you would speak to their hearts and that they question, can I be used by God, would be answered through this passage. Father, we thank you. 
that you are a father. It's okay. In Jesus' name, and I pray. So what we're going to do here is we're going to read Matthew 1, 1 through 17. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Read out the ESV version. Uh, that's typically what we read out of. But um, we're going to get this. We're going to get this started. Um, and we're going to read through it once, and then we're going to kind of talk about why it's important that some of the people that are in here are in here. So Matthew 1, 1 through 17 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of, of Abued, and Abued, the father of Eliakim. These are the ones that are starting to get tough. Uh, I guess they got more progressive in how they were going to name their kids. Uh, and Elikim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Elazar, and Elazar, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all generations, from Abraham to David, were fourteen generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So what I want to do is I want us to actually go back and look at the very first verse in this entire passage. I know that was a lot there. Thank you for allowing me to read all of them. Um, but I want us to look at the very first line there. And the very first line in Matthew 1, one says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so we have to ask ourselves something right from the very beginning. Because the very first thing that Matthew says is he doesn't just start off the genealogy by saying, Abraham was the father of Isaac. No, he makes a statement from the very beginning about Jesus and the lineage that he comes from. And that is very important because... He makes those statements for, for, for one reason and one reason only. is because in, in a, uh, there is attached to both Abraham and to David promises from God about Jesus. And so I want to take a second to look at those promises because before we can talk about the importance of the lineage, we have to understand 
the promise that was attached to Abraham and to David. And so if we look at Genesis 22, 16 through 18, what the Bible says about that, it says, Instead, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So God made this proclamation. God made this promise right after Abraham showed that he was willing to sacrifice his son. So God said, go and do this. And Abraham, in faith, knew that, it, that, that, that he needed to obey God. And even in faith knew that if he would slaughter his son, he knew that God would somehow raise him from the dead. And in faith, God said, you have such a great amount of faith, Abraham. Through you, you will be blessed. Your, your, your offspring will be blessed. And not only will your offspring be blessed, but all the nations of the earth will be blessed out of your offspring. The second promise we need to take a look at is we need to take a look at the promise to King David. In 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16, we're going to put this up. He says to, he says to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But by my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. In your house, in your kingdom, shall be, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so what God was saying here, again, another promise from God. He said God was saying that he would establish a kingdom for someone from David's offspring. And he wasn't talking about a kingdom like David's. He was talking about a kingdom that would last forever. It specifically says that he will establish a, uh, him on the throne forever. And, he, and God also said in this promise to David that God himself would be a father to a son. And he even, he even goes as far as allowing David to know that he would discipline this son with the rod of men, with the sins of man. But he promises David one thing, that his line would be established forever. And so if we look back at that very first line from Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bible, just take a quick peek at it. But if we look back at it, Matthew is establishing something in the very first ber- uh, very first verse of Matthew. He is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of what God has said to David, what God has said to Abraham. And then he begins to work out in this passage a genealogy of where Jesus came from, the, the lineage of, of from Abraham, from the promise from God all the way. Jesus himself. And so I'm sure most of you guys are saying, well, that's really cool. Not sure what else you're going to talk about because uh, that doesn't seem to be much else other than a bunch of names that are kind of listed here. We need to take a look here at this lineage for a moment because 
we need to take a look at who God uses in this lineage, right? Because what God says to Abraham is that through your line, through your offspring, um, the, the nations will be blessed. He tells David that he will establish somebody through his offspring. And so through with, with Abraham, he, he has, he has um, Abraham gives birth to Isaac, but then Isaac gives, gives birth to Jacob, who then gets renamed Israel. Israel. And then we know the nation of Israel begins their, their journey, uh, uh, forever known as Israel. Um, they came from, you know, from Jacob. And so what's important to, to realize here is that um, it was for many, for many of the Jew, for many Jewish people, it was always meant to be um, about the Jewish lineage, and that Jesus, the Pharisees, and, and those those who were um, you know very righteous and, and kind of you know um, for 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 Jew for the nation of Israel more so than for who they were in God, they were very um, aware of the fact that whoever came. Whoever the Messiah was, he had to come from the line of, of he, had to, he had to be of Jewish Jewish descent from the, from the line of Abraham. But if we look in the lineage in and of itself here, there's some really unique things. Uh, maybe the word's not unique. There's some things that we need to take notice of because if we don't take notice of, of them, then we might step into who God is and think that it is very out of God's character to graft people into the vine. But as, we're, as you look here in this, we're actually going to see that God's been doing this from the very beginning. It's not anything new. It's just now that in Christ, it opened up the entire world. All the nations that God wanted to bless through Abraham, through Christ, became, became, it became possible in Christ. The time had arrived. But throughout history, God made exceptions and used people that people didn't think that would that, that God could use or that God would use. And so the first person I want to take a look at in this is Rahab. And so if we look at verse 5, it said, and, and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And so I don't know if you all are up on your on your Bible knowledge, and that's cool if you're not. Rahab, you can find her in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. Joshua sends spies to Jericho. And when the spies come to Jericho, what happens is that um, Jericho is warned that, that Joshua had sent spies, and they go out looking for the spies. And Rahab, who is a prostitute, allows them to hide in her home. And when, when the king's men come and knock at the door and say, we know these men have come here, they have come to your house, Rahab does not uh, give them over, does not hand them over to the king. But she shows her loyalty to God. And if you read in the book of Joshua, what Rahab says is she says, we have heard the things that your God has done at the Red Sea. We have heard of the armies that he has defeated. And we fear the Lord God. And God in that moment, knowing that she had faith, a prostitute who had faith, a prostitute who believed in God and, and showed the rightful amount of the fear of God, in that moment, God grafted her. God grafted her into the lineage because in chapter 6, when the Israelites go and they take down Jericho, they walk around the walls seven times, they blow the trumpet, they go, they take it over. Joshua makes sure that his men take care of Rahab. 
because of her faith. God makes sure that Rahab is saved because of her faith. And so if you look at the lineage here, that that um, Rahab marries a Jewish man because she is then brought into the Jewish camp. She marries a Jewish man by the name of Solomon. And through Solomon, they give birth to Boaz. And immediately, if you hear the name Boaz, it must make you think of the book of Ruth. Because in the book of Ruth, there is, there is, there is a, a, a young lady named Ruth who is married uh, into a family. And she's married into the family, and, and her husband dies. And so she, she remains a servant for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Naomi takes them back to their homeland. And when they go back to their homeland... Ruth enters into the fields and is just trying to grab the scraps of the harvest, anything that people left behind. They had asked if they could follow behind them and if they could they could just take whatever they could find and put in their baskets from the harvest so that they would have things to eat, so that they would have food. And while she's out there doing this, she's doing it in such a great manner, so consistently that the owner of the field, whose name is Boaz, takes notice of her. And so what's important to realize here is that Ruth is not of Jewish descent. She is not an offspring of Abraham. Ruth is a Moabite. And so Naomi tells Ruth, Ruth, go lay at the feet of Boaz. Go lay at the feet of Boaz. He will take notice of you. Maybe he'll marry you. But Boaz being a man who respects the law, Boaz says, you are not, you know, he has to go and he has to get the right to marry Ruth from somebody else. And so he says, um, basically, Ruth's husband, their, his field was up to be, to be taken over by somebody. And Boaz says, you know, you're the rightful person. You're the next heir. You're the next in line. You, you can take it over. But if you take it over, you have to take Ruth too. And when he says that, they don't want to take Ruth as well. And Boaz, and so he gives it to Boaz, and Boaz not only gets the field, but he also gets Ruth. Ruth the Moabite, the non-Jewish lady, the lady who who, who um, slept down at the feet of Boaz. And so for many, there is there is much scandal in, in, in the fact that Ruth would go in in the middle of the night and lay at his feet. Um, and so, out of, out of this, this is what's really amazing about this, is that, is that out of, out of the relationship between Ruth and Boaz um, comes Obed, and out of Obed comes uh, comes Jesse, and, and out of Jesse comes King David. And we have to talk about King David because his life wasn't his life was full of of of, of um, you know problems left and right from the beginning when he was anointed as the king. Saul was king over Israel. And Saul went crazy, started chasing him down. David was living in caves. You read a lot of the Psalms that we that we have. It's David in a cave pleading to the Lord that he would not be delivered into the hands of Saul, into the hands of, of Saul's army. And so eventually the Lord delivers Saul up. And we even, we even read about that in, in Samuel, just as God gave uh, Saul up. Saul turned his turned his turned his life from God, turned himself away from the way of the Lord, and became just so in, enthralled with the position of, of, of being king that he forgot about being obedient to the Lord. And so the Lord removes the kingdom away from him, hands it over to David. 
David's king. David has many wives. And what happens? He sets his eyes on Bathsheba. And so the scandal begins. David, the guy that God says is a guy after his own heart, commits adultery, murders Uriah. He forces Bathsheba to commit adultery. And so as we can see, I think the pattern that we're, that we're seeing here is that the line in which Jesus came from was not a line of perfect people, but a line of people that were riddled with scandal, that were riddled with sin, that were imperfect, that didn't always make the right life choice. Rahab, the prostitute, sold herself to men for money. Ruth, the Moabite, there really isn't anything scandalous about Ruth other than the fact of how she came into Boaz's life, how she how she laid at his feet. But then we get to King David, and we and we and we, and I mean that's just scandal left and right. It isn't until Nathan the prophet comes to David that he confesses that he murdered Uriah. God takes David's son, his first son, and we know that out of that relationship with Uriah, we did get King Solomon. We get Solomon, who we read the proverbs from, which is just. As we look at the lineage of Christ, we realize that imperfect people were used by God to accomplish God's will. If we continue on down the line here, I want to get to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, who was the father of Manasseh. If you guys know the story of Hezekiah, Hezekiah is, is, is in, the, in the word of God. He is known as the king who followed the Lord's way. The Lord was pleased with him. He was happy with him. And so what happens is um, Hezekiah goes and he he, he, um, he he defeats an army, but he doesn't pay he doesn't pay tribute to the king, to another king. And when he does that, he has actually sinned against the Lord. And so they begin to lose and they begin to get they begin to get beat in battle. And they begin to get beat in battle until Hezekiah says, I will pay it all back. I will pay it back. He strips down the temple of the gold and the silver, pays it back. Right after this, Hezekiah gets extremely ill, extremely ill, and the Lord basically sends a prophet to him and says, you're going to die. Get your house in order. You're going to die. And Hezekiah bitterly weeps to the Lord and prays to him and says, God, please don't take my life from me right now. God, please give me more years. He begs for more years. And so what God does is God gives him more years. But what happens in those extra 15 years is that he fathers Manasseh, and you know who Manasseh is known as? Manasseh is known as the most evil king who ever lived in the history of the kingdom of Israel. Scandal. Manasseh was, was, was a murderer. Manasseh was a briber. Manasseh, Manasseh did uh, all, stuff, all sorts of evil things and evil schemes. He dishonored God left and right. He did not walk in the way of his father, Hezekiah. And so as we work down through the lineage... They, there are people all along the, the lineage of Christ. All along the path. Who were imperfect. Who didn't follow God's ways. Who, who fell down and needed to have some grace from God to get back up. Who weren't even a part of the promise. And yet God grafted them in through because of their faith. The very same faith that Abraham had, the very same faith that God considered to him as righteousness, 
so did these others have. He had faith in God, and so he grabbed him in. And so the question that I had to ask myself this week as I was, you know, one, pondering, you know, um, God, how can you use me? And the question I had to ask about Matthew, Matthew, why did you start with the lineage and the genealogy of Christ? Why did you start with a reminder of the promise to Abraham and to David? I had to, I had to begin to think about and, and, and consider who Matthew is, why this would matter to him, why he would start with a genealogy, why he wouldn't start chapter 1, verse 1 through 17, started off with a little you know flashback to Jesus doing a miracle and then go into the rest of the, of the gospel. He started with a genealogy. Why, Matthew, did you do that? And I think this is one of the things we, we need to do as we're reading the Word of God and as we consider who the writer of these books are, what was their mindset, why were they doing it. And so what we have to understand about Matthew, we, I think a lot of this stuff we know. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector. People would, the Jewish people would come and they would pay their taxes to Matthew. What I don't think we always understand is we don't understand how the tax collectors were viewed and how they had to make their money. And so for Matthew, as a tax collector, what had to happen was in order for him to make money, not only did he have to take the tax of the Jewish people, but then he had to add additional tax onto the tax that they rightfully owed to Rome so that he could make money. So that would be like you and I going to the store right now on a 6% tax and the person behind the counter adding a 2% tax onto it so that they can make their wages that they needed to make for the day. And if you think about the Jewish people, and I know we're not maybe always, always, um, we're not, not always, you know, kind of in tune with Jewish law, but you need to consider the Jewish people. They were already being taxed according to Jewish law by the Pharisees by the people, by, by, the, by the religious leaders. And then Rome comes in and taxes them on all of their stuff. And so somewhere I read this week that they were being taxed at about 40% of the money they were making. And in the midst of that, one of their own, because a tax collector was subcontracted out by Rome, they, the Matthew was a Jew who was taxing his own people and cheating them out of their money. And to them, he was a betrayer. To them, he was a Judas. To them, he was cheating his own people. And so, the view of the people was not Matthew, my friend, the tax collector. The view of the people was that Matthew was a betrayer. And in many respects, they viewed Matthew in the same light that they would view a Gentile. Here's the important thing to understand about Matthew and why he wrote this lineage right here. Why he put the people that he put into it and how it impacts us here. Matthew's doing this because he's trying to show people that him being a sinner, him being somebody that did bad things, him being an imperfect person, was still able to be called by Jesus to follow him and Jesus was still able to use him. The point of all this is that God fulfills his will through imperfect people and imperfect circumstances. If you look at the lineage, if you look at all of the people that God used, they were not perfect circumstances. They were not perfect people. But what they did have was they had faith in their God. They had faith 
in their God. And in some respects, they didn't even know that he was their God yet. But they had heard about him. They heard of the things that he would do. They became a part of the story. These imperfect people, these scandalous people, these sinners. And so what I'm here to tell you today is that God can fulfill his promises through you and through me. He can fulfill his promises through even imperfect people. So this week when I was feeling really, really bad about myself, when I was feeling really, really bad about, you know, just being overwhelmed with all of the responsibility that I have going on right now, when I was feeling like maybe I wasn't honoring God in the best way, God's saying, yes, you should feel convicted about that, but at the same time he's saying, I can still use you. I can still help you overcome. Just because you're failing in this area doesn't mean that I can't use you. So in the midst of this, right, we just got done talking about the great cover-up last week. We just got done talking about, can God use me? Uh, or we, talk, we just got done talking about holiness. Sorry. We just got done talking about this, this, this thing about holiness and how we should pursue holiness. And so this is kind of the grand picture of things. And I'm so, faith, I'm so thankful for God's faithfulness in this because, you know, as I got done talking about holiness, I, the, the thing that just nagged at me for about a week was that, God, we are to pursue holiness, but I think some people might take this as religious. And they may think that, that, that your grace isn't sufficient to help them um, as, they, as they achieve holiness. And so what God is saying in Matthew, and, and I didn't plan this out, this was all God through the Holy Spirit, is that as we pursue that holiness, we're going to be imperfect in certain areas. And that doesn't mean that God can't use us. He can just He can use us. Uh, uh, despite or in spite of, of our shortcomings, in spite of our imperfections. But that doesn't mean that we don't stop pursuing holiness because once we, once we reach a point where we've been transformed, when we overcome something, then, then, we, then we're holy in that area. Then we represent God in that area. Then when people see us, they still see God. But that doesn't mean in the midst of everyday life, when God is trying to draw people to himself, when God is trying to make himself known to people that in the midst he won't use an imperfect person. And one of the things we're going to find out as we get into Matthew, as we look at this, as we look, as we look at the disciples, as we look at who Jesus hung out with the most, Jesus says something incredible. He says, I have, he says, the sick don't need a doctor. He says, he says, people who are well don't need a doctor. It's the sick that need a doctor. And that should give us just so much hope. Because Jesus wants to spend his time with imperfect people. And Matthew, Matthew is saying in this first passage, God from the beginning has been a God of redemption. God from the beginning has been a God who is going to fulfill his promises. And even if he has to use imperfect people, he's going to reach, or he's going to, he's going to, he's going to fulfill his promises. He's going to, He's going to reach whatever goal he has. It doesn't matter. Hey, how are you? Good. It's happen. And so something that we can take from this today, you and I, and something that we need to think about today, a couple of things that we can be contemplating and considering. Number one, do you believe that your God is a God that in spite of your imperfections, in spite of an imperfect world, can still achieve, can still achieve his promises, can still achieve his will? Right now in the midst of the world, if you look at Fox News, CNN, you look at anything, 
everybody's so downtrodden about the state of things. Everybody's arguing. But in the midst of that, can God still accomplish what he wants to accomplish? The answer is yes, he can. He always has. Even in the midst of kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. Look at the lineage. Look at all the different kings. Even after Israel was deported to Babylon, was taken over by Babylon, God was still allowing his will to play out and was still making a way for the Messiah to come. Number two, um, do you believe that God can use you? You need to take this before the Lord. You need to look at his word. And if you have any question in your heart, you need to take it before God. You need to ask him to help to increase your faith. Listen, 1010, we are getting ready to come into a season where we're no longer going to be doing this. Things are going to be opening back up. And we are going to be reaching out into the community. We are going to be going out to York County. And we are going to be the hands and feet of Christ. We're going to be the light that shines in the midst of darkness. And the number one thing you're going to need to take into those situations, because they may not be perfect situations, and they may not be perfect circumstances, and you may not be a perfect, you may not feel like you're a perfect person to go in those situations. You need to have faith. You need to believe that in the midst of the lineage, in the midst of what's going on, that God can use you. Because if you don't believe that, you're never going to do anything. And if you're never going to do anything, then you're not accepting the call from Christ to follow him. So this evening, I want you all to imagine, just imagine for a moment, what it would look like for a church of people who all believe that God could use them, that God could use them even in the midst of their imperfections, even in the midst of their shortcomings, that God could use them to reach your county, that God could use a church in your county to reach out to the state of Pennsylvania, and that God could use a church in your county to reach out to the nations. That is the call of the church. But we have to believe that our God is bigger. He can overcome. And it starts with faith. Matthew starts out this gospel by trying to build up our faith that God can use anybody. That God keeps his promises and he can keep his promises by any means necessary. If you trust that God is who he says he is, if you trust in the things that God says, you'll see it. You'll see it come to fruition. And for some of these people in the lineage, maybe it didn't happen in their lifetime. And for some of the promises of God, maybe they won't happen in our lifetime. And we need to be okay with that and realize that. But in the midst of that, we are still called to obedience. And so I want you to imagine a church a group of people that are willing to be obedient even even if in this life and in your lifetime you don't see God's promise come true. Are you willing to have faith to know that it may not come in this lifetime, but it's going to happen at some point? And are you willing to be obedient and continue to do what God has told us to do, even if you don't have the physical evidence? And so I'm going to invite Mike to come back. I'm going to invite you guys to have a a time to worship. We are going to thank the Lord. We are going to praise him. Mike's going to lead us. We're going to praise him. We're going to thank him. Because no matter what, we know that his promises are true. We know that our God is worthy of praise. And so as you contemplate, as you take this with you, I want you um, to just be thankful. Have a heart of thankfulness. Have a heart of praise. And know, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter who's involved, 
your God is faithful to come through. So um, let me just end in prayer real quick, Mike, and then I'll, I'll send it over to you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your genealogy, uh, Father. I know most of us, Lord, I know myself, sometimes I just like to skim over that. One, because it's it, I don't understand it, why it's there, and two, because some of the names are hard to say, but Father, it is there for a reason. I thank you that Matthew, the tax collector, the tax collector, the one who was betraying his own people, he's writing this to tell us that you are the Redeemer who uses imperfect people, who redeems imperfect people, and who says they are still able to be used for your purposes. Father, I pray today for 1010. As we're sitting at home, as we're as we're in the stay-at-home order, we're doing all this stuff, Father. Let us consider how we can be the church. Father, there are opportunities right now where God can use us, where you, Father, can use us. There's opportunities in the city right now with life path. And we're posting things regularly about people that have needs. Let us consider what it means to lay down our life for the sake of the gospel. We can use imperfect people in imperfect circumstances. In the midst of COVID-19, Father, you can use us and your will can be done. And we just praise you that we're, you're a God that we can, we can know that your promises are always going to be achieved. You're always going to come through. So, Father, I pray that our faith would match who you are. Give us a mustard seed, Father. Just give us a mustard seed. I thank you for who you are, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Love you all. Hope you all have a fantastic week and are encouraged to go forward in his promises.